There you go. Cool. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. If so, my favorite part of the night so far was when I asked people your favorite things and like two or three people said student ministries, right, here on a Wednesday night. That's awesome sauce. That's good. I'm glad it's your favorite. So, uh, it's my turn to teach. I haven't done that yet. And so you guys not only had me for the game, but you get me for this too. So if you don't like me, sorry, you're in for a long night, you get a double dose of me. Um, but hopefully God will speak through me, and it will be a wonderful time. We're gonna, uh, before I get into my message, I want to see who's been paying attention over the last, say, five or six weeks. What have we been talking about? Andrew. This isn't great, is it? What? This isn't great, is it? No. So what have we been talking about? Okay, what have we been talking about? Well, so last week we talked about wisdom. What have we been talking about kind of in general over the last month or two? We talked about King David, right? Uh, yes. And King Solomon. So we talked about David here. A little reminder for those that haven't been here, right? We talked about David uh, as a boy, right? And David and Goliath. We talked about David becoming king and being chased by Saul, right? And had a chance to kill him. We talked about David and Bathsheba and that little mess up, right? Uh, we talked about David trying to build the temple, right? Even though he wasn't supposed to, he wanted to, right? And then we talked last week. Um, Jesse did a wonderful job introducing us to King Solomon, David's son, right? Who became king after him. And Solomon had uh, a lot of what? God gave Solomon a lot of what? Wisdom, yes. And so he used that wisdom. Uh, he was actually the most wisdom-filled guy in the world at that point. You know, anyone before him. He had like this enormous amount of wisdom. And he used that wisdom to build a lot of things. He built armies, he built cities, he built all kinds of things. He was like the Lego master builder, right? Like he was... He was Emmett. Uh, it, was, it was cool. One of the things he built is probably the thing he's most famous for. He's, he's most famous for being wisdom, right? For his wisdom. And he's most famous for the temple. And so today we're going to talk about King Solomon builds the temple. And there's a cool slide that says, King Solomon builds the temple. If you could just visualize it, it would say, King Solomon builds the temple. It's cool. Uh, all right, so we're coming to the interactive part of the message. Hey, there it is. Excellent. We're going to read the passage where King Solomon finishes uh, building the temple. And uh, it's 1 Kings chapter 8, 17 to 21. And we, we do a lot of like reading to you, but I feel like I feel like it would be good if a couple people could read this. So, like, somebody read 17, right? Somebody read the first paragraph, then somebody else read the second paragraph. Who, who wants to read for us? Go ahead, Ben. My father David added in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, You did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you were not the one to build the temple. Your son, your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple. Awesome. Somebody else. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. It's right up there. Second paragraph. Oh, okay. 
promise he made. I have succeeded David my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place for them, place there for the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. Yeah, so... Uh, this is the scripture we're going to use as our, as our foundation for the message. King Solomon builds a temple. And it's a place where he stores the Ark of the Covenant. Right? And so I'll give you a brief 60 second history of the temple. Right? Here's like your education class. Since the beginning... Tim, next slide. <laughs> there we go. So since the beginning... God wanted to be with the humans he created, right? In the garden, he walked with Adam and Eve, right? And gave them instructions, hey, don't eat from this tree. And they did, right? And Moses, the burning bush, right? Like, God spoke to Moses, and he was there. And Moses went to touch the bush, and God was like, no, no, this is holy ground. Don't, don't come any closer, right? Uh, the, Moses goes up to the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments, Right from God, together is there, and he brings them down, and he puts the commandments in this Ark of the Covenant. It's like a big gold box, right, with long handles so people can carry it. Kind of cool. If you've ever seen Indiana Jones, right, that's, that's about the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and so they carry this Ark of the Covenant around, and God leads the Israelites. God's with them again, and he follows, uh, he, he's like in this cloud, right? And, and wherever the Israelites go, this cloud leads them. And in, at night, you can't see a cloud, and so it becomes like this pillar of fire in the sky. Totally cool. Presence of God with the people. Uh, and they decided they were going to make like a place where they would keep the Ark, right? And it was called the Tent of Meeting, or the Tabernacle. And it was this one place where the presence of God was, right? And like the amazing, blinding, life-changing power of God was in this gold box, right? And like if you touched it, you would instantly die. Totally, just like dead, right? Uh, because... God is really holy and can't mix with the unholy of us, right? And so they made this, the, the word tabernacle means dwelling place for God, right? And so they had this box, the Ark of the, the, Ark of the Covenant, and they put it in a tent, right? And they called it the Tent of Meeting so that the priest could go and meet with God and get the instructions for the people. Uh, do, they would offer sacrifices, they would uh, offer apologies for their sins, Right? So they would get atonement for their sins, and they would get instructions from God. And the only place they could do it was in this tabernacle, in this dwelling place of God, because that's where God was. Right? So David, we studied a couple weeks ago, thought, man, I live in this nice palace, and my God has a tent. I should build him like a nice temple. Right? And, and God said to David, hey, we, we honor, you know, I, I honor your heart for wanting to do that. But you're not the right guy, and this isn't the right time. It's going to be your son, Solomon. And so David's son, Solomon, was chosen to build it. And, and that quick history is really to show why they did this temple, right? Like, God wanted a tangible, physical reminder for his people and for the whole world that, like, God exists, and he's real, and you can experience him. 
right? And so that's really what the, the tent of meeting or the tabernacle and this temple was. It was not... Now, don't be confused. Like, God is bigger than a gold box. You can't contain Him in a gold box. God is bigger than a building. You can't... Like, even the biggest, nicest building in the world isn't big enough to contain God, right? And so this wasn't like a place where God would live, right? This wasn't His summer home. This was a place where there was a piece of God that was, his presence was there, right? And you could go into the temple to experience the presence of God. Very, very cool. So that's what the temple was. Here's an artist's rendering of what it probably looks like. Yes, kind of neat. Now, I want to tell you quickly about... Uh, here, you can keep that slide up there. Don't, all right. Yeah, keep that up for a little bit. I'll just run through this. So it took seven years for Solomon, at least seven years, for Solomon to build this thing. Somewhere between seven and 11 years, depending on what scholar you listen to. Um, and guess how many workers they had working on this? One million. 150,000 workers. Like... They didn't have pickup trucks and dump trucks. They didn't have like cranes and backhoes. They didn't have like power drills and lathes and routers and things, right? Like, right. They had none of that. But they built something huge like that, right? And they had people had to like carry stone, and they had to have like stone carvers carving stuff, right? And people like innately carving stuff out of wood and gold and things. Uh, most of the material used was stone, wood gold, and they had some accents of fine linen and some other things. Um, enormous amount of work. Seven, picture this, seven years, full-time, 150,000 people. Like, just working all day, all the time on this thing. Big project, right? Takes a lot of management. Like, I don't know if you've ever been involved in a project and, like, you got to manage all the parts, right? Like, ah, uh, the wood's supposed to be here today. Why isn't it here? Shoot, somebody call Saul and find out where the wood is, right? Uh, you got to manage all the people. You got to figure out the deliveries. You got to, like, it's a lot of work to manage 150,000 people. So, my question to you is why would Solomon do all this work? Like, what's the point? Why did Solomon give seven years of his life and, and 150,000 know, uh, citizens of his? Why did they do this to build a temple? Yes? Because um, he loved God and wanted a place for him. Because he loved God and wanted a place for him. That's good. Any other thoughts? Yes? Because God um, told him to and he believed in God. Yeah, because God told him to do it. Right? God had said, hey, you're the guy I've chosen to do this. I want you to do it. Yes? Because, um, is it Solomon? It is Solomon. Okay, um, he didn't want to do it alone at all. So he needed help. He certainly would have needed help, right? No, no man could, could build that by himself. True. Any other, any other thoughts as to why Solomon would spend seven years and so much time and money and effort building the temple? Yeah, it probably was not a coincidence that it took seven years. Um, so, all of those reasons are true, right? Now, here's what I want to ask you. Here's where it gets interesting. 
you're probably never going to be called to build a big temple. Like, I mean, you might be. I don't know. Maybe, maybe God will have you build something really amazing. But you probably will be called to do something. Right? God's probably going to lay something on your heart. Hey, I want you to do this. I want you to befriend this kid in school. Right? I want you to be a part of this. I want you to do something. Right? There's going to be something. And the question is, like Solomon, are you willing to work for it? Solomon worked hard to build this thing, right? Seven years of, of 150,000 people. I can't even, I can't imagine managing a project like that, right? And he did that because of the, the very things we said, because God told him to, and he believed that, 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 you know, and he wanted to please God, right? Because he loved God and he wanted a, a place for him, right? Uh, because he didn't want to do it alone. And really because he believed that it would be a place where a tangible, physical reminder for people that God is there. Right? And so he said, I'll do whatever it takes. Right? I'll spend seven years. I'll spend, I'll spend all the money I have. I'll, I'll do whatever to build this. So my, my question to you halfway through the message is, are you like that? If God gives you a project... Hey, I want you to friend. I want you to befriend this kid. They might not approve. They might not like receive it well. They might be annoying. It might be inconvenient. Are you willing to do that? That's a, that's a question that only you can answer, right? Um, but it's worth thinking about. Wow, if God, you know, like Solomon, if God asked me to do something that was pretty big, am I willing to do it? Think about that. All right, moving on. So I showed the, uh, a nice picture of like an architect's idea of what the temple would have looked like based on the scriptures and all the instructions that God gave to build the temple. So this next slide is my crummy drawing of the temple. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this took me like all of, I don't know, a minute. Um, and basically, I want to communicate kind of what the temple was about. So if you remember in the big picture, there was like the, the big stone wall around the thing, right? All the land inside that was the courtyard. You were only allowed in the courtyard if you were Jewish, right? And a believer in God, right? And part of the faith. They didn't want just anybody coming into the temple, right? And so... If you went to synagogue and were, you know, and paid your dues and sacrificed your animals when you were supposed to and did the things that a good Jew would do, you were allowed to come worship God in the courtyard, right? And you would get close to the presence of God. And it was cool. And then in the courtyard, there were these white stone-looking buildings. And one of them, you know, the, the top and bottom thing were... It's not really top and bottom, it's like a bird's eye view. And so the left and right thing uh, that run across here, right, these things, um, those were like storage areas and, you know, rooms for the priests to keep their stuff and whatever. But there was this room called the holy place, and it was like covered in gold, and there were like cherubims and flowers, and like the Bible describes all about what it looked like. 
But it was a room, and the only people allowed in there were the priests. Right? Like if anybody else went in there, they'd die. Just like you couldn't touch the Ark of the Covenant. If you went in this room, you'd die. Right? And the only people allowed in were the priests. And it was because you, you walked into this holy place where you were really close to the presence of God. And then there was a room called the, the Holy of Holies, right? Like the inner sanctum, you know, once you cross through, once you get into the holy place, then there's this really holy place inside. And there was only one person allowed in there, the very high priest. And he was only allowed in there one day a year on the Day of Atonement, right? And this one guy, one time per year, would be allowed in to like the actual very presence of God. And if, and if anything was wrong, that guy was dead, right? Dead. Like if his heart wasn't right, dead, right? If, if, if he had, you know, if he had done some animal sacrifice and had blood on his clothes and, you know, was a slob, dead, right? God kind of demands perfection in his presence, right? And yes? Like this. <laughs> I mean, they just died. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, like your heart stops. You just die. Yes? Was King Solomon only allowed in the courtyard? King Solomon was, was only allowed in the courtyard. He was not a priest. He would not be allowed in the holy, of, in the holy room, I wouldn't think. Um, right where he'd die. And so they would actually, here, catch this. This is amazing. This high priest over all of Israel, they would tie a rope around his waist. <laughs> right? Like a big, long, 40-foot rope. And, and kind of lay it out there. And so this one day when the high priest goes in, if anything's wrong and he croaks, they can at least pull it out. <laughs> right? And I mean, that's no... I'm totally serious. That's how serious God was about coming into his presence. Right? Into his holy presence. And not taking it lightly. Yes. <laughs> it was just a rope. It was already dead. It's a good question, though. It's a good question. Alright, so now, next slide. Let's go to the history. So I gave you this 60 second rundown of how the temple came into being. Let's look at the history of the temple since then. So, so Solomon built that building, right? Holy place, inside of that, Holy of Holies. One day a year, you can go into the, the, the one guy can go into the presence of God and get instructions and get atonement for the people, whatever. So since then, this magnificent building that Solomon built was wrecked and destroyed a few times during some wars, right? And rebuilt a few times throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus Christ comes and is born, right? In a manger and dies on a cross. And God comes up with a different temple design. Um, this is amazing. This might be the most amazing thing that's ever happened in history. God decides, if I can turn my page. Come on. There we go. God decides, I'm going to take my holy presence, like the, the very essence and being of God that created everything, that made each one, each person that works on the earth, that make the clouds hover and not fall down, that that's like stores the lightning bolts, 
that makes the grass grow, that, that does the animal food chain, that does the water cycle, right, the precipitation and evaporation thing, right, the God that makes all of that decides, I don't like the, I don't like what they, the idea of this temple where somebody can come and visit me once. I want a new temple. I want to, I want to be with my people. And so he says, for the first time in history, I'm going to make them the temple. And I'm going to reside in them. And the them is us. Right? And God says, if you love me, I will come reside in you. And I'll live in you, the holy, amazing, powerful God of the universe, wants to be in us. Right? As a tangible physical reminder of His presence for us and for the world. Let's see what the Bible says. Here, before, before we get into questions, let's see what the Bible says about this new temple structure. Paul in Corinthians says, and, and this is, I, I don't know that this could be more clear. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Then a couple chapters later, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Right? And then in Revelation, at the end of the Bible, God says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them. And he will be with their he will be their God. I'm almost done. Can I wait? Yeah. Okay. So that is an amazing concept. Think about why why would he ever do that? Right? Why would this holy, amazing, powerful, mighty God say, you know what? I want to reside in Anthony. Right? Or I want to reside in Zoe. Or I want to reside in Destiny. Or I want to reside in Quincy. Right? Why would God do that? That's insane. Right? Like, I can't wrap my head around that. But it's true. And He did it for a reason. Right? He's smarter than me. Right? Now, thankfully, I'm not God. I would have wrecked the planet a long time ago. God has figured out that the best way to have a tangible, physical reminder that God is real and that you can experience Him is to live in His people. And so I pose the following question to you, which you will get to answer in small groups. What can you do the, you know, fill in your name. I, Eric Zabo, can do this. What can you do to ensure that the God of the universe is, is in you and reminds others, both here in Elevate, in God's group, right? Here, us, in the church, not just this church, the church, and those not in the church, your friends in school, your neighbors, your co-workers, your relatives, your, you know, whoever. What can we do to make the temple what God wants it to be? 
And it's not just your body. I mean, like, yeah, it's your body, right? And so, like, I should eat better and not look like this as much because God probably wants a nicer temple than this. But it's like everything that goes with your body, right? It's like your life, your, like, your circle of influence, your job, your school, all the things that are associated with you and your body. Like, God resides in there. And He wants to be a tangible reminder to everyone that He's real. So in the small groups, my challenge to you is to talk about what will that look like in your life? What can you do to help show God to the world in His temple?